Come on, come on. You could be anywhere else this Sunday morning, but you decided to come to church. Make some noise for yourself. We're coming to church this awesome Sunday morning. Wow. Uh, like Pastor Jared said, my name is Mark McGaffin, and I'm the student pastor here at Higher Vision Church. And uh, shout out to the venue. Where's the venue fam at? And uh, my wife and I, Desiree, we've been working in youth ministry, student ministry now for for almost 10 years and uh, we've seen God do amazing things and we're just so in love with the next generation. We will spend our lives fighting for them and fighting with them and I, uh, we, we love it, we love it. And um, today I couldn't, I just want to say we're at the end of next month, the end of January, we're having our very first venue conference right here at Higher Vision Church. If you want more information about that or you want to register, jump on higherevisionchurch.com and check it out. We're so excited what God's going to do. But I couldn't really be more honored to be able to share today. Um, I don't take the opportunity lightly, and there's so many other greatly qualified and gifted ministers here. But I'm so honored to be able to share with you today what God has put on, on my heart. Um, we just are finishing up with Christmas. And Christmas is one thing when you're a kid, it's another thing when you have kids. And um, on Christmas morning, this is our first um, Christmas really being in a place for me in my whole life that it's not freezing. I was born and raised in Nebraska and um, it's cold. And so for me, it still didn't quite feel like Christmas because I wasn't in a, a sweats, a coat, a jacket, a hoodie, a scarf, trying to stay warm. It was different. But one thing that remains true, though, about kids is my kids got up so early. I mean, jeez. Like, they get up for school at 6.45, 7. Christmas morning was like 6 a.m. Let's rock and roll. Where's the breakfast? Where's the gifts? Bring it, Mom and Dad. Bring it. And I... It just reminded me when I was a kid uh, getting gifts and I got some of the weirdest stuff ever. For me, my number one gift while I was growing up, I opened it every year. I could pick it out from underneath the tree. I could spot it from 100 yards away. Was that squishy package I know the consistency, and as I ripped it open, I could tell my parents, and I would tell my dad, I'd be like, hey, dad, did it again, didn't you? Socks! <laughs> Who would have knew? I remember I could always ask for the one big gift, and um, every gift was like, okay, cool. G.I. Joe, nice. Pair of pants, sweet. Where is my Hulk Hogan wrestling buddy? You know I want it. I know you got it. Bring it on. I love getting gifts on Christmas. I love it. I, but when we were opening up gifts, my, my dad would always want to do the whole Christmas story, which I think is awesome. But he would start with saying the whole Christmas story, and all of us kids are going nuts. I have two older brothers and a younger sister, and we're just like, yes, the baby is great we could get to the part where we open the gifts I would be really excited and then right when he finished he's saying that's the story of Christmas kids now quick let's go around the room and say two things we're thankful for this year 
I'm all about those gifts. Um, I remember even on my birthday, oh my gosh, getting gifts. <laughs> There's always that one aunt that comes to the party. They ask what you want for your birthday, Christmas, whatever. And you say something like, I want to tickle me Elmo. I would like an Xbox, please. A video game, a movie, whatever. They gave a very specific list. And that Aunt Gina gives you your gifts and says, I hope you really enjoy this. Like, I know I am. This is what I asked for. And you open it up. Corduroy pants. Corduroy pants. And then your mom always says, now, what do you say? Thank you. Which really is, where is my video game I asked for? But thank you. It gets crazier though. It's Christmas gifts and birthday gifts. But then I got married. And um, boy, you get some stuff on your wedding day. Some gifts that you can't even look inside the box. What would possess you to give me that? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I'm not going to get into detail this morning. But we got this gift. I opened it up. And we opened ours after the wedding. We're just kind of sitting there having this, like, party, opening up gifts. It's just crazy. And we open up this gift. And look at it. Like, I know what we registered for. Like, 70-inch TV, motorcycle. I know what I want. And I open up this gift and I look at it and the box is like faded. A waffle maker. A waffle maker. I did not ask for a waffle maker. A waffle maker. But the interesting thing about this waffle maker is the box was faded. Pulled it out and looked at it. This waffle maker had to have seen at least two other weddings. My wife and I were victims. We were victims of regifting. Oh, all the, all the married folk know what I'm talking about. Right? The vase that magically appears at every wedding. Because everyone loves it. We were victims just like you, victims of regifting. Today, I want to share a message called the art of regifting. Would you believe me and pray this morning? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house, God, with your people, Lord. Today, Father, I thank you that your word is powerful, Lord. Father God, I thank you for victory going in front of us, on each side of us and behind us. Father God, today, break us down, build us up. Father, show us something new about you today, Father God. Our ears are open. Our hearts are ready, God. Lord, I ask that today you would make me insignificant, Lord, so that you could be the significant one in the room. Change us. Rearrange us. In Jesus' name, all the church that agree with that prayer would say, amen. 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 Thank you, David. Today, if you have your Bibles, they're going to throw it on the screen. I want us to turn to Luke, the 15th chapter. Luke 15. And I'm going to be reading out of the message translation today. Luke 15. Very familiar story. 
Luke 15, we're going to start in verse 11. As you're turning, they'll throw it up on the screen for you in the message translation. In verse 11, it says this. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. Somebody say two sons. The younger said to his father, father, I want right now what is coming to me. Verse 12. So the father divided the property between them. And it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all of his money, all his money, there was a bad famine all through that country and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. Verse 17 that brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. And he got right up then and went home to his father. Verse 20. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out and embraced him and kissed him. The son then started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. Verse 22. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost but now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. Verse 25, watch, it says this. All this time his older son was out in the field. When the day's work had Done, he had came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing and calling over one of the houseboys. He asked what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast, a barbecued beef, because he was, he was him home and he's safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've, I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who has thrown away your money on horse shows up and you go all out with a feast. Last two verses, verse 31. His father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time. We had to celebrate this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. The story of the prodigal son, but really we have a story of a family with three central characters here. The first one we'll talk about is the older child, the older brother, which inside these verses carries a very distinct attitude with him. The attitude of, um, Dad, I've loved you. 
There's nothing I haven't done for you. There's nothing that you've asked me to do that I haven't done for you. Look at everything. I'm never late. I'm always on time. Dad, I've kept all of the rules. Done everything you've asked me to do. I've slaved away for you. I mean, look at me. I've slaved my whole life. I've done everything you could have asked. Where's my party? Where's my celebration? What about what about me? I mean, I've seen, I've seen his Facebook. I know the stuff he's been doing. I've been stalking that fool for weeks. I know what he's been doing. And all this for him? What about me? What about me? How could you, Dad? How could you do this? No, oh, you want me to go on the party? No, I'm not stepping foot into that party. No, I'm not going anywhere near that party. No, no. You congratulate him on living a wild life. I'm not going in there. He's done nothing but hurt you and, and, and hurt this family. Save it. The attitude of the older brother. The attitude we find here in the older brother. So we find here that the older child did everything right. But at the same time, while he did everything right, we also find that we can do the right thing with the total wrong attitude. The older brother is caught in a dangerous game, dangerous business for us Christians. Instead of focusing on what the father had already given him everything, he starts to get a skewed view of his father because of what the father did for the lost one. The older brother forgets that Everything that the father has is already mine, but why are you doing it for him? What about me? Where's my extra? What about me? We find that sometimes even in church, we make the mistake at times for letting the lost children of our community and even those that fill our churches, we make the mistake of letting the lost children Meet the older brother instead of meeting the father. And the unfortunate thing about that is this. Is that what we find that the older brother's response to the lost child can often remove the desire in the lost child to have a relationship with the father. Let's be a church that introduces the lost children to the father. The first character we have is the older brother. Now we have the younger brother. That was me. Youngest of three brothers. The wild card. Right? You never quite know what the youngest will do. The previous younger brother thinks they got it all figured out with mom and dad until I show up. And I mess everything up for them. And all the middle children said, hey. One of us said, yeah, it's me. Hey. We got the second child here, the younger one. That's the, our second person in this story. The younger brother has this kind of attitude of, hey, dad. Daddy. Um, I see all your stuff. And I want what's coming to me now. Yeah, I want, yeah, I want what's, what's mine. You owe me my inheritance. Now, 
give it to me. I want what I want, and you're going to give it to me right now. He has the attitude of, um, you can take your rules, you can take the family, and have it all back. As a matter of fact, here's the family ring. Give me my inheritance from my family ring. What an attitude. For the younger brother, he takes his family ring and exchanges it, gives it as a gift to his father in return for his inheritance. Interesting attitude. This second brother, this youngest brother, his attitude in this relationship is more about what do or what can I acquire because of this relationship. He trades in the family ring for his inheritance. The third person in this story is obviously the dad. Two sons lived in the same situations, brought up the same way, two totally different points of view. But the father loves them both. And I found that oftentimes our relationship with our dads here on earth, they can have a profound effect on our relationship with God. A lot of times how we view our dads here on earth has a direct connection to how we view our heavenly father. So circumstances and situations have a way of training us in life. We oftentimes would say, I don't know how I learned this. I just, this is how I lived and this is what happened. Our situation has a way of training how we will behave. And the younger son here has a good loving father. But truth be told, each of us are born with the desire to have the attention of our father. The influence of the father affects so much of our lives. Which is why it's so important that this, this church be good moms and dads to not just their own kids, but to the young people that fill this church that are fatherless and motherless. It's so important. Your job is not, is not just in the body of Christ. It's not just about your kids. It's about a generation of young people that are fatherless. It's a fatherless generation. We need, we need grandpas and grandmas and brothers and sisters to rise into the place of fatherhood and motherhood. Statistics show us this. 70% of people incarcerated come from a fatherless home. 71% of students that drop out of high school are from a fatherless home. 63% of youth suicides come from a fatherless home. There's a lack of fathers, and a generation is crying out for dad to come home. This father here, he loved his children. In this generation, there's a cry for fathers. And in this story here, Jesus gives us a glimpse of the character of Father God through the Father in this story by displaying four amazing characteristics. Four things he shows. The first one was this. The Father in this story had compassion on his kids. He was a man. He was a father of compassion. What can we take away from this? Are we supposed to be people of compassion? I would submit to you that of course we are. But I think that sometimes we get caught up in this thing where we see one too many late night infomercials about the starving kids in Haiti. Say, so, wow, that is, 
It's so bad. I've done it too. You sit there and you're flipping through the channels and you come up on it and says, your $1 or 30 cents a month will feed 30 kids for two years. I don't know the math, but it works, okay? We're sitting there and we're flipping. We say, wow, you know what? That's so sad. That breaks my heart. But then something, we just keep turning the channel and keep flipping, which isn't compassion at all. It's not the compassion this father showed. See, love without action is called feeling sorry for someone. Love, compassion is always in motion. It's always moving. It's always going. Anyone can feel sorry for someone, but the Father heart of God is not for us just to feel something, but for us to do something about it. To do something, to move, to have compassion. We find out that even in the life of my children, my words are cheap to them. They always ask me something and I'll, 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 be, I'll be making dinner or helping with something or do whatever I'm doing and they'll say, hey daddy, can you go do this? Yes, as soon as I'm done. They'll come back. Hey dad, uh, with Zion, it's like 10 seconds later. Hey dad, are you done yet? Can you put on the game for us? Right when I'm done, I'll do it. Two minutes later. Hey dad, Can you turn the game on for us? And I say this to him. I say, hey, hey, baby, listen. Has daddy ever lied to you before? My son goes, not ever in the whole wide city. <laughs> That's right. I'll turn your game on after this. Words are cheap. Action is expensive. Words are cheap. Action is Expensive conversations are, are cheap. Well, we'll talk about it. No conversations, if they don't end in action, are cheap. They're cheap. Tweets are cheap. Facebook posts are cheap, and they're often untrustworthy. Hmm? Yeah. Action's expensive. Movement is expensive. Actions will always beat our intention. See, watch. What you do is always more powerful than what you intend to do. With your finances, what you do is always more powerful than what you intend to do. In your relationships, what you do is always more powerful than what you intend to do. In your marriage, what you do is always more powerful than what you intended to do. This father shows that he had compassion. There was action. Compassion is a choice of aligning our, our actions with our heart. We all know this verse. For, for God so loved the world that he had an important conversation. For God so loved the world that he intended to do some pretty cool stuff. No. For God so loved the world that he gave. Our love is an act of giving it. It has action to it. If our love is not ending in action, it's cheap. 
maybe has great intentions, but at the end of the day, my intentions for my kids don't matter. My actions with my kids matter. What I say I'm going to do in my relationships, do they matter? Yeah, a little bit, but what I actually do in my relationships matter a whole lot. This father had compassion. Number two, this father had faith. I love this dad. This father, he had the idea that all it would take is one moment for everything to change. All it takes is one moment. In our families, all it takes is one moment for everything to change. That's all it takes is one moment. And that father understood this. But watch here. The father, he, he under something, understood something about faith. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 4.13. It says this. We having the same spirit of faith. Someone say faith. According as it is written, I believed. And therefore I have spoken. We also believe. Therefore we speak. Faith has two components. It's believing that God can do something then also activating it with our words that he's going to do something. See, what I see the picture of this father is that he didn't just go look on his porch every day, just look around and just think he could come home. I believe this father showed something different. But yeah, he would wake up, brush his teeth, get ready, throw some clothes on a run outside, and he had an anticipation. He believed something was going to happen. But I believe that father talked to every one of his employees and said, today might be the day that God brings my boy home. All it takes is one moment. My son's coming home. The father, not only did he believe, but he spoke. The father had an amazing faith. Today, I would encourage you to look up from your situation. Gain a new perspective on your situation and look up. Raise your eyes. Start focusing on what God can do. Why give up now? You've come so far. You've come too far to quit. With God, all things are possible. He's the undefeated, reigning, defending champion of eternity. No matter what your situation is looking like, he is for you. He is able. And if he did it for them, he'll do it for you. Come on, if you believe that, why don't you lift up a shout this morning? He's able. The father had compassion and the father had faith. Today I'm living proof that believing and speaking might just work in your life. I am here today because of the prayers of my grandma, the prayers of my mom and dad. When I was so far away, I would have never guessed I'd be here. I told my dad, save the church stuff, save the Jesus stuff. I'll never preach like you. I want to be nothing like you. Bye. See you. I want nothing to do. But they didn't stop there. I'm here. How many of us in this room are here today because somebody chose not to quit on you? We got to have faith. We got to have faith. Today, maybe you're the person you're like, well, I'm believing. I'm believing for that person. I'm believing for that situation. I would encourage you to always point to what can be. Not just what you see, but what 
could be in the situation, what that person could be. Always point to the positive. We live in a culture where we always want to point out the negative, what's going on. I encourage you as a citizen of the kingdom of God to point to their potential and speak to what's on the inside and call it out of them. He had compassion, but he had faith. The father also had something so powerful. He had something called vision. He had a vision. The father had, uh, at this point, every reason to lose his vision for his family. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you? He had every reason to lose his vision for his son. Well, I would have every reason if my son gave me back my family ring, said, give me my money, give me my stuff, I'm out of here. I'd have every reason to believe that it's over. There's no hope for this situation. But this father had a vision for his family. Proverbs 29, 19 says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. I love this quote here by P.K. Bernard. He says this, a man without a vision is a man without a future. A man with a, without a future will always return to his past. His father does something powerful here. He wasn't just looking at how things looked in the natural. He wasn't. His family, even though the lost son was gone, was still having normal family activity. They were still having family dinners. They were still going to ball games. They were still doing normal things. You see, he didn't have his eyes on what was around him because he always saw the empty chair. He had a vision for his family. He had a vision for his son. Vision is the bridge between the present and the future. If you don't have a vision for the future, you'll spend your life living on what's going on beside you. You'll spend your life living, living in the peripheral. Not noticing on what's ahead of us, what God has for us. We'll spend our life worried about what's happening to the left and what's happening to the right. Why? Because we lack vision. We spend our life fighting fights that at the end don't really matter. Why? Because we don't have vision for what God's doing in the future. But this father has a vision for his family. And he refuses to let that vision go because of the circumstances that surrounded him, his oldest son, and the rest of his family. Let's rewind. Let's take a look at the story again. The son has a conversation with his dad. The youngest boy says, Dad, divide up all your stuff between me and the older brother. Divide it up. Here's the ring. I want it now. Nights soon after that, the son, he packs his bags and goes on the journey of his wildest imagination, living wild, doing his thing. He takes everything that meant something for his family, trades it in on something temporary, and goes on the 
rampage, living wild. The son goes and squanders away all the money, loses everything. And here we find this young man, he's hurt. Disappointed in himself. He's hungry. Says that he'd be willing to eat with the pigs because of the famine. There was just nothing. For some of us in the room today, maybe that would look like for us as we walked away from our relationship with God because something happened we didn't understand and no one had the right answer. So we walk away and did things our way. The son had full reign to do things his way now. He's hurting. Willing to eat with the pigs at this time. A disgrace and an embarrassment. But while we were yet sinners, while we were yet messed up, Christ came for me, for you. This young man probably never thought he'd be caught in this situation. This young man probably thought he'd never be here. How many times have we thought that in our lives? I never would have imagined I would be in the space that I'm in. Living through the circumstances that I'm living in. Going through the war that I'm going through. How did I get here? The young man never thought he'd be there with that mentality of life. He never thought he would find himself here with this, in this space, in this, with this attitude. He's hurting. He's looking for something. He's bound by the weight of a bad decision that keeps on dogging him in life. This decision to leave, it's, it's just a weight on my shoulders, this sin, this thing I'm in. The son is lost. Most of the time, our first response in situations like this is, me, I have to start to try to do this thing better. You know, I, I don't have any food. I don't have any money. What I'll do is, is I'll find another farm, and, I, and I'll go work harder. And I, I, I can do it that way. If, all I need to do is try harder. But it doesn't work for the sun, and it won't work for me. Maybe, maybe I don't feel like I can just get up. Maybe if I just crawl towards a goal, that will help. Maybe I feel like I can walk. I can't, I can't quite run yet, but I can do something. No, it didn't work for the sun here either. The son was lost and he was hurting. See, sin, it has a, a certain synergy to it and it picks up momentum. It will take you farther than you ever planned to go. It just brings and carries momentum to make you feel, make you believe like you could never overcome it. See, sin has this way of making you feel like you can't be seen by anything. You can't be seen by God anymore because of what you've done. How could God even look at me? I can't be seen. I, I can't even be felt any longer. I can't even be heard. Even if I did cry out for help, no one could hear me because of the situation I'm in. Has us feeling all sorts of different ways and has a way of making us feel like there's no hope. We can't find our way out. And has a way of overwhelming us. The question becomes for us in the room today, those that are watching today online, 
what are you going to do then? Go to another church service? That's a good thing. That could help. Call someone on the phone? That could be a good step. Try your hardest to stop the addiction? Yeah. Well, maybe if I put a parental lock that I don't know my computer, I'll stop looking at the stuff. That, that could help. But the idea of sin is that we cannot, listen, we cannot overcome this thing alone. What are you going to do? The same question I think the young man asked himself. What am I going to do now? The answer to his question was, I've got to go home. I've got to go back home. See, at least at, least at my dad's house there was food there. And, and, the, and his workers, they would work and, and he, they would get to eat three meals. Maybe I should just go home. Maybe I should just go home. Maybe I can go back. Because the young man understood something that we have to understand. There's really only one person that's standing on the porch that can pull us out of the mess we're currently in. There's only one person that can stand there and pull us out of the junk. He feels your pain and he has a higher vision for your life. Watch, Romans 2, 4, that's what happens to the young man. The goodness of God that leads men to repentance. The Message Bible says it this way. In kindness, he, speaking of God the Father, takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. Watch, the Father, he, for days, hours, maybe, maybe weeks, Maybe months, or perhaps the father had been doing this for years. The father would, would wake up every morning, get out of bed, put on a robe, put on his clothes, and he would get ready for the day. But he would hurry down the stairs and go check on that fattened calf, make sure its progression was going right. He was getting ready for a party, even though the party hadn't hit him yet. He'd go stand on that porch, look at all the workers coming into work. He got there way before them. He said, hey, today might be the day. You never know. My son might be coming back today. My son, my son might be coming back today. Look off. Is that him? No, that's not him. Maybe that's him in the back. No. Every day the father did this routine waiting for the opportunity to be reunited with his son. But today, it's a different day. He did everything like he normally would do. He came out looking again. He's standing on that porch he's done many times up to this point. But today, something's different. It says from a far way off, he sees him. Today, maybe you feel like you're a far way off, but God saw him. The father saw him in the picture of the story today. He sees you. He sees his son from afar way off. And it says his heart begins to pound. Imagine the adrenaline of seeing someone that's lost. I've, once I went to pick up my kids from school, and they took Zion from where he normally is at and put him in a different place. And I was like tripping. I was asking teachers, hey, where do they, where do they take the kids at? Where they move them. And for about five to seven minutes, I had a mini heart attack. 
because I was, my heart was pounding. I wanted to find where my boy was. And we see with his father here, it says he sees him far off. And his heart begins to pound. And the father does something he did not have to do. He's a rich man. His heart begins to pound. He has no reason to have to do this. The son did him wrong. The father did nothing. But the father sees him in the distance. His heart begins to pound. And the father takes off running after his son. Which may be one of the most touching portions of this story. But for me, I now look at the side from the son. As the son walks towards his father's property. Dirty. So broke he didn't have shoes. They needed to give him some clothes. He was a mess. Funky. And the son walks up to his property and stands there. I bet you at this moment, the young man is rethinking his thought of coming home. But what if my dad is upset to see me? What if he, what if he rejects, what if, what if he says no? What if he, what if he doesn't, what if he doesn't let me come back? Or what if he laughs at me? I don't know. But he sees in the distance his father. his father begins to run towards him. I imagine the fear of a young man who's done nothing but hurt his family, hurt his father, begins to back up a little bit slowly. But as the father gets closer and he's running and he's sprinting towards the son, and the son is standing there saying, I have no hope. I have nothing. I have nothing to offer my family. I have nothing to offer my father. I have nothing. I'm, I'm nobody. I just want to tell you this today. If, if God was mad at you, this story wouldn't be in the Bible. God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. We find it here through the picture of a father who's running out to greet and embrace his son. But the son, I imagine, would be so scared and frightened of what might happen. Is that my dad? I don't know. I don't know what he's going to say to me. I don't know what he's going to do. And as the father gets closer, I can only imagine the boy covering himself in fear of what might happen next. But instead of feeling the crushing blow of a swing from a father, the push, he feels these huge arms of a dad begin to wrap around him and hug him and embrace him. But not only that, the Bible here says that it kissed him, but the literal meaning of that is he kissed him over and over and over on the neck, on the face. He wouldn't stop kissing his son. And his son had to have been overwhelmed by the thought of this. And there, I can only imagine the emotion and the tears flowing from the son's eyes. And the son tries to interject, but dad, I just, I've sinned against God and I've, and I've sinned against, and I've sinned against you. I've sinned against our family. And the, the Bible says here probably the most stunning thing. The father does something he does not have to do. Number four today, the father's love breaks the rules. Verse 22 says this, but the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, 
Bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get the grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. The father here does something he doesn't have to do. He breaks all the rules. You have to understand this, that God is not intimidated by your past or by your present. He deals with what we are right now so he can get us to where we need to go. You got to understand is God never leaves you how he finds you and he never leaves you where he finds you. He takes you where he's going. Only a father can do what's done in this verse here. The father here, his love letter to us is son and daughter. You can trust me with your past, your present. You can trust me with your mistakes. You can trust me with your shame. You can trust me with your disappointment. We have to understand that he's not some distant force that's unmoved by your presence. He's not an absent father he is God he is dad and he's waiting for you no matter where you're at we find here that the father has the power to free you from your situation there's nowhere else the boy can turn but his dad because only the father can free you from your situation it is the father who restores hope to the family that seems lost It is the Father that quiets the voices of failure, despair, and fear. And ultimately, it is the Father who has the power to declare identity. The Father's love here in this text, he, he breaks all the rules. We have to understand that the Son, he took off the family ring and traded it in for an inheritance. Bad thing for him was is that he squandered it all away. He failed. He lost his inheritance, living wild. He wants to come home. The problem with that is by law, he took his inheritance. He lost it. He's not allowed back to his family by law. But the father breaks all the rules. Watch, the first thing he does is this. He says, quick, get my son some clothes. He's naked. we got to help him out, get some clothes on him. What does that symbolize for us today? The father, he gives him new clothes. It means this, that no matter where you've been, no matter what's happened in 2014, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what this year brings, the father, he can cover it all. He can cover it all. He says, get my, get my kid, get my son some clothes. And he says, get him some shoes. Get him some shoes. What does that represent for us today? Him getting him some new shoes means that you're going to walk now a new path. Here's some new shoes for you. I can give you new identity. I'll cover it, but now I'll help you walk a new path now. You don't have to be bound by the stuff you were bound with this year. Here's a new path for you to go. The father now is beginning to declare a new identity over his son, and it's so powerful. He gives him clothes. He gives him shoes, but then he reaches into his pocket and pulls out the last gift his son ever gave him. Not only are you getting some new clothes, I can cover it. Not only am I going to give you some shoes for a new path, son, but I kept your last gift. And today I'd like to re-gift it to you. Here's the family ring back. I'm going to give you access to the family again. 
The father's love, it breaks the rules. The father declares new identity to his son. Where are you at today, though? Is it a sin? Is it a situation? Oh, God can cover it. He can cover it. Maybe your path, you've taken your own path this last six months, this last year, the last ten years. Oh, God can give you a new path and he'll walk with you side by side, hand in hand. To a new path, a new vision for your life. But today, even most importantly, those that have been far away from God. Maybe you are, you handed God the family ring back and said, I'm done with the whole church, Jesus, God thing. You can save it for somebody else. God has this way of re-gifting things that we don't deserve. The son didn't deserve the ring back. He didn't honor the family, but the But his father, the the father heart of God says this, here's access again. Today, maybe you've never been a part of the family of God. The same is true for you today. God is willing to give you access to his family. He's willing to give you a fresh new path, a new start. He's, He's willing to cover all the stuff that no amount of I'm sorry's could ever touch. The father had compassion, had faith and vision, but his love broke the rules.